Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, and welcome to episode 73 of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all having a fantastic start to your week so far. This week's guest is Miss Amy Tarek. So Amy's got a really amazing story, one that starts with a lot of health issues. So super smart. She was training to become a doctor while studying business on the side, but all of this evaporated when Amy was struck down with a chronic health condition that stopped her from being able to go out, be healthy, be active. I mean, she she got to the point where she couldn't even clean her own teeth. Doctors couldn't explain why her heart raced at 200 beats per minute, even when she was doing nothing. They didn't have a label for her condition, but all of this turned out to be a blessing. You know, she made a choice. She knew she'd either die or get better and turned out that life wanted something better for her. So when you're not boxing with the label of a specific diagnosis, you're able to tune in more with your intuition. And that's what Amy did. She removed the toxins from her life. She started eating organic. She invested in alternative therapies. Amy went from being able to do nothing to becoming a best-selling author, a consultant, who's been exploring a variety of exciting projects. And now she teaches people how to optimize their productivity, energy, and ability to focus by controlling their physical and emotional well-being. I found Amy's stories like just so inspiring. One, I'm always inspired by people who actually change their lives. Right? It's one thing to learn from, from psychologists, from doctors, from different people who can explain why something is happening. And then it's another thing to hear the actual story of someone revitalizing their journey, like revitalizing their lives from just their own personal stories. And I think that's why I loved this conversation with Amy so much. And I loved how she was able to listen to her body and follow her instincts and unbelievably heal herself. So this has been, a, this was an incredible episode. I mean, I loved everything about Amy. The, but a few of the things that stood out most to me was one, her perspective on death. I mean, wait until you hear her story about her grandpa's passing and how that inspired her philosophy on life and how she shifts and evolves every single day based on who she wants to be, how her entire journey has helped her be more empathetic and how giving empathy can be such a huge competitive edge, uh, whether you're in business relationships or where you want to be. I mean, this episode really reminds me that life does throw curveballs. I mean, there's, you can be on one path only to find that life has a lot of different ideas. And Amy is a testament to what's possible when you navigate the ups and downs with curiosity, presence, trust, and grace. So I hope you guys find a lot of solace in this episode, how somebody was able to be at rock bottom from a health perspective where doctors were telling her that she had to live a certain way and how her own resilience in life and her own decision-making allowed her to tap into intuition, which paved the way for Amy to do the work she dreamt of and just live the life that she's always wanted to live. And so I hope you guys find extraordinary in this in this story. And I hope you guys find a lot of confidence and just faith. If you're going through a tough time, I hope you take Amy's story 
as inspiration to just push through and live the life you love and not let other people dictate what you're allowed and not allowed to do. So hope you guys enjoy this. I sure as hell did. Um, but before we get started, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever tool you like to use to listen to the Stay Grounded podcast. I'm so grateful for you guys being here. And I'm so excited for you all to take the lessons from this episode and apply them to your own life and hear some of your own takeaways, whether it's in the reviews or whether it's the messages you sent me, all of it. I appreciate it so much. But anyways, um, without further ado, guys, here is the amazing Amy Tarr. Yo, yo, yo! Welcome to another episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you guys are all having a fantastic day so far. Hey, May, how are you? Hi, it's so great to be on here. Yeah, you were just telling me that we're actually going to be meeting in person soon. So I'm super excited about that. Yes, I'm really excited about that too. Your husband is a dear and near friend. <laughs> and, uh, I'm excited to to meet you and hang out and just have these conversations in person because, but this is going to be a nice little warm up. Going to be a nice <laughs> little warm up. So, anyways, uh, I already introed you and um, and your story is fascinating to me. So I think I'd love to start from I guess rock bottom, and I guess fill me in on this. I was reading this about you. So you were personally being mentored by Bob Proctor, right. and during that time you were you were very sick. So. Where did the sickness come from and, and what do you mean by sick and uh, in what context did Bob sort of help you move through that time? So a lot of people get chronic illnesses that don't even have a label yet. And that was mine. So at the time, I was one of the first people to have gotten POTS, which is sort of like tachycardia, but also it's more than that. So my heart rate would go from... Uh, like up to 200 beats per minute. And for those listening, that's really, really high. A normal person just having this conversation has a heart rate of like 60 to 75. My heart rate was 200 beats per minute, just doing nothing, like living as a vegetable. So it wasn't fun. I lost a lot of weight. Before that, I was a cheerleader. I was an athlete. I was strong. I lost so much weight because of this. So at the time, this illness didn't have a label. And so most of the people just said that I was crazy, that I was doing it for attention, which I didn't need attention, that I was just doing it just because I wanted to. Now, the funniest thing is the only person who has managed to get their heartbeat that high, like on command, has been Gandhi. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. So I would have been a much cooler person if I was doing it on purpose, (laughs) but I wasn't. So it was, it was a hard time to say the least. Like it was hard from being completely independent and then not even being able to like brush my teeth by myself. And it's even worse whenever nobody believes you. But yeah, it didn't have a name. It didn't have anything. So I think it also helped me that it didn't have a name at the time because there was no doctor telling me this is incurable. Like, because so many chronic illnesses that are actually very curable, they're told you can't heal from this. You're, yeah. you're stuck with this forever. And it's, it's not true. Diabetes is curable certain types of diabetes is curable. Um, chronic fatigue, it's been cured in people. A whole bunch of chronic illnesses have been cured by the right doctors. So at the same time, I'm very grateful that at the time there was no name for it because I never, I never was put into a box 
that sometimes prevents people from ever getting healed because they just labeled themselves as, oh, this is a chronic illness. Now, I knew I was chronically ill, but I basically told, I had a few conversations with God. And I said, I said, okay, I'm sick. And apparently I'm not dying. So apparently I'm going to live like this for like ever. Um, this isn't okay to me. So either I die or I get better. So what are we going to do? <laughs> like, I'm not going to be in this in-between stage. Like this is not okay for me. So yeah. I wasn't, I, I, I like, maybe it was dying. It was a very slow agonizing process. I was just losing weight. It was nonstop and just getting sick and sick. But it was, for me, it was just taking forever. And I was like, okay, so I'm just going to focus everything I can on getting better. And I'm not, I'm just not going to listen to, you know, what doctors in Indiana at the time were telling me that I needed to be on all of these medications. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. Because if you're saying I'm not sick, why do I have to be on medications? Just because. And if you don't know the root cause, then I don't understand why I should be on these medications that have all of these side effects and aren't, isn't even like making me better. Cause like a lot of these heart medications, they weren't even bringing down my heart rate. They were just making me worse. So I'm like, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. So it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. So I quit that and I just began um, completely eating organic and just releasing all of the chemicals that were around me. So, um, and ever since I was a baby, I was always like super hypersensitive to certain things. And so that was like, that should have been a clue, but I didn't really put that together. I only clean with organic, real things. Like for example, vinegar and alcohol, vinegar, alcohol, and water. My bed is organic. My, not my clothes, but like a lot of well, some of my clothes are organic. Everything is just natural ingredients and as real as possible. And so I, I took away as many toxins as I could in my life, eating, ingesting, body products, everything. And I started getting significantly better, but I wasn't completely better until, until I moved to Florida. My doctor, who's also my neighbor, I met her here and she's great. She actually noticed that I'm a celiac. So I've been a celiac my whole life, which they were, they were close to. It's um, whenever, basically you're allergic to gluten, but like a severe allergy. So like your body shuts down. It's an, it's an autoimmune. And it's interesting because it's labeled as a disease, but I don't think of it as a disease. I think of it as an allergy. So yes, it's labeled as a disease, an autoimmune disease. I don't think of it that way. But anyways, so as soon as I stopped the gluten and as soon as I got proper chiropractic health, like I was doing chiropractor before, but this was on another level. And so the combination of the two, it just completely, I started gaining weight. I started being able to do all of the athletic activities that I hadn't been able to do for like six or seven years. And so all of that just like, came right back and it was just amazing. So yeah, that's my, my long story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you've been through a journey and I love the ownership. Like you started taking, it's actually pretty telling though. Like you were being diagnosed medicines when you didn't have a name for what was going on. Right. Like, I guess that that probably happens a lot. 
uh, in, it, in general. Yes. Yes, it happens so much. And then later on, sometimes there's a name for it. Like, like I guess three or four years after it happened to me, a name became of what I had. And they were studying people. They were putting them in clinics to study them. And they were telling everybody, oh, no, you're stuck with it for life. And so I'm so glad that, you know, yeah, no, you're not stuck with POTS for life. Like, I'm an example, but... I don't think the medicine world would really acknowledge that yet. They want to push some medicines out there for people with it. (laughs) It's fascinating that you used food and just going back to the natural state and that is what nursed you back. How much of a role did actual belief in life and belief in in just positivity and, and, and a lot of these concepts that aren't necessarily tangible, what role did that play as you were going and making changes to your life? Well, I think it was huge because I was always a super positive person. I'm actually less positive now that I'm healthy than I was before any of this started. So it's interesting, but I was a super, I'm so positive, but I was on a whole other like crazy level of happy, positive, like a whole other level. And so even the first time I went into the emergency room, like the ambulance people who came, they're like, wow, you were such a positive person. And like, I remember they were holding my hand and I was like, cause like the first time, like you feel your heartbeat going 200 beats per minute. Like you're like, this isn't normal. This isn't right. Maybe I'm going to die. Um, and so like, like I took their hands and I was like, look, even if I die here tonight, I just want you to know that you did your job great and you did everything perfectly. And I just want to thank you for being here with me. Cause they were, They were just so nice and so calming. And you don't get that with every ambulance worker. I've called the ambulance during those four years so many times. But that first time, I was also in a small town where everybody knows each other. But the fact that they were just so loving and sweet and everything. So they held my hand through everything. They did whatever it could take to like make me feel comfortable, make me feel calm. Um, It was my first time ever having an IV stuck in me. And like... For 17-year-old Amy, that was like, now I can handle it, no problem. But for 17-year-old Amy, that was like worst case scenario because I've never been in a hospital. Um, I've never had an IV stuck in me. I've never, like, I would faint even with blood. So that was like, that was like worst case scenario for me. And they did everything to make sure I was calm and everything. So I even like, I had a, I said a prayer with them and everything. And I was so positive and I was like, Look, if I'm meant to die, then I'll die, you know? And I'm okay with that. I've I've had a good life. It's whatever. And so I always I was never scared of death. A lot of people might fight to stay alive because they're scared of death. I was never scared of death. And I'm still not scared of death today, but even then I was just I was not scared of death and I was not scared of the illness itself. I'm like this is just something that's happening. It's not going to be permanent. Either I'll die or I'll get better because those are my only two options I'm going to give myself. Why weren't you scared of death? I've had a lot of death experiences in my life. So I view it like it's another journey. It's not the end of anything. It's just another journey. And death is just, it's something that I feel like should be celebrated along with life because without death, there is no life. And without life, there is no death. And so the two are very close together. And I feel like it's not a negative thing. It's just, it doesn't take a negative hold in my heart because I just, I've had a lot of stories of like 
a lot of people I've been close to who have died and who've had the most amazing experiences like right before death. And it's just so beautiful. It's just, I can't see it as a bad thing. Can you share one of those experiences? (laughs) Yeah, I'll share one. It'll be my first time sharing it publicly. (laughs) I'll share my first experience whenever I was like, I've had a few experiences before then, but this is whenever I was old enough to be consciously more aware of it. I was around 10. I was in fourth grade and my grandpa, well, the week before, he never answered the phone because that was my grandma's job. So he would never answer the phone. And this was my Mexican grandpa. So he was answering the phones and he was making sure he would talk to everybody on the phone. And he never talked to me on the phone because like kids don't really like to talk on the phone, but he really made sure to talk to me on the phone. But anyways, a week later, he had a stroke and it was on his morning walk. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> he had a stroke and it was on his morning walk, but he had the stroke right in front of the house. So his brother who lived downstairs was able to like come back and like resuscitate him until the ambulance came and everything. And so then anyways, he goes to the, um, to the hospital and everything and he's brain dead. He's in a coma. The doctors say that he's like, he's basically dead. He's a vegetable. But anyways, the night before this happens, I wake up that morning and I told my mom, I said, mom, grandpa told me everything's going to be okay. He came to me in a dream. And he also told me that whenever he waves his hand, it's going to be to tell you that everything's going to be okay. So my mom was like, that's a nice dream, but that's, it's impossible. He can't wave his hand. Like he's, he's in a coma, like people in comas don't move and he's brain dead. Like that's not going to happen. And so then um, later on, she got a call and he did wave, he did move his hand, but the doctor said that that's just something that like happens that sometimes like bodies do that. Yeah. And you know, yeah, it is true that sometimes bodies do that, but the fact that I had that dream and then I told her about it. It just changed the meaning to everything. And so I just think it was just so sweet of him for like that. Cause that was like my real death, like my first real like death experience in a conscious way where I would actually like understand it. And I just thought that that was so sweet of him to like come to me and tell me like, this is a beautiful thing. Don't be sad about it. And that's why I'm crying. Not because I'm sad, but because like that was so beautiful that he would come to me and tell me, don't be sad about it. And like, and then afterwards, he died before we were able to get to Mexico to see him. But I didn't feel sad or anything throughout that whole process, through the funeral or anything, because like, whenever he came to me in that dream, it was just such a, like, he just explained, like, this is just such a beautiful process. Like, there's no reason to be sad or scared or anything. And I'll show you, I'll give you this sign. I'll say, goodbye to you me waving my hand it was like for me to say goodbye it was just such a amazing experience and I think it really helped my mom too she felt guilty I think not being in Mexico so I think it helped her a lot too and afterwards um like I had the final dream with him whenever he came to me and he sat we had a we had a bench in front of our house so he came to me and he sat with me in a bench by the house and that was my final dream of him but yeah since then, I've had a dream with every person who's passed in my life. And it's just a beautiful process. 
How did, how did these experiences <laughs> influence the way you live? When you see death through this lens, how does yeah. that impact your love of life? I view life as an experience. It's a learning experience. We're here to learn as much as we can before we pass on to the next learning experience. So I, um, that's how I view it. I don't really necessarily love life more, but I'm aware that this is all temporary and all of this ends. And I'm aware that if I'm here, it's because there's a purpose and to just stay grounded with that purpose because that's what matters. How do you remind yourself of your purpose every day? Well, throughout life, sometimes uh, you might feel like your purpose changes or you might feel like you don't know your purpose. So it's important to be patient during those times because I bet there's a lot of people listening like, oh my gosh, I don't feel like I know what my purpose is. Like, I don't know what my purpose. And sometimes your purpose is just to like, you see a stressed person crying at the store. Maybe your purpose is just give them a few kind words and say everything's going to be okay. Like your purpose doesn't have to be this big whole, I'm going to be president of the world sort of thing. Like that doesn't have to be your purpose. And so there's no need to get overwhelmed. Just what your purpose is every day. Just you can't go wrong with being kind. (laughs) You can't go wrong with that. And then the rest of it is, I guess you get to decide. So you get to decide what you want to make your life and how you want to learn those experiences that you're meant to learn in this life. So I think we have a lot more that we get to decide. I don't think, I think some of it is like destiny and some of it is you get to decide a lot as well. So I don't feel like we should be too overwhelmed with our purpose. We should just be comfortable with sitting in it and saying, you know what, maybe I don't know what my purpose is today. But if I do just a few nice things, then I've done more than if I didn't do it. So I think that's really powerful. You know, I think most people forget to live their purpose while they're going out there chasing their purpose or going after something in the in the horizon. But really, if you get to that point and you haven't been the person you want to be along the way, then what you what you achieve doesn't matter. That's why so many people get there and they're just completely lost. They're like, oh, crap, I have everything. But what does it mean to me? Because I I lost myself in the process. Yeah. How do you remind yourself of who you are? Well, I believe that who we are changes day to day based on our experiences and our perspectives and what we learn and as we grow as human beings. So I never limit myself by telling me who I am. I just tell myself who I want to be. And I check in and I'm like, is this the person I still want to be? Do I still want to grow into that person? And then, okay, I still want to grow into that person. So I don't really think about who I am in the present moment. I think about who it is I want to become. And then who I am is just who I am right now. I'm just a growing, living human being who's learning. That's a beautiful attitude. Thank you. So I'm not going to like label or box myself in because I don't want to be stuck at that level, spiritually, emotionally, or any other way that you can get stuck. I love the like the openness to growth that I'm hearing from you. Like you seem so open to just growing in any area of life. Was that something that you've always had or was that something that cultivated along the way? I don't know if I've always had that. 
I don't remember much as a child. I know that I was always like up to do new experiences and I wasn't really scared of doing things. Like I'd be like the first one to climb on this tallest thing. And then like, there was like a camp where I would climb all the way to the top and then jump off on a bungee. And I'd be like the first one to do that. And the first one to do like these things. So I was, there was always like a sense of like fearlessness around me. And that's probably why like I broke so many bones. <laughs> um, but um, I don't know. I don't, cause there are certain things that I don't want to experience and I'm okay with not experiencing them. Like I don't really want to skydive. Like that's not on my things to do. Cause I just don't find it comfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, and so like, I just, I don't like the feeling of like wind and all of that. Like that's just not comfortable for me. <laughs> like the dropping and everything I could get over that, but like, I just don't like that idea of it. So yeah, I'm open to trying new things, but at the same time, I'm not like, I won't do anything and everything. So and I think that's that's a really important distinction because by knowing exactly what you're okay with doing, if you know exactly what you love and what you don't love, then saying yes to things that are a little bit out of your comfort zone feels easier because it's something you already decided that you would be okay doing. Yes. And so it almost is like a it's such a great like bridge to just trying new things and how do you dance with, I guess, the fear that comes when you're trying new things? Like, does that come up often for you? And when it does, what does that voice look like in your life? So I developed a few new fears after being sick and realizing that I was sick from food. So then I would be scared to like eat new things and eat things I didn't know exactly was in it. And that's still a little bit of a fear because there's like, I don't really like going to certain restaurants because um, I know too much. <laughs> and so, and so um, I keep that in mind. But whenever it comes to, um, so there's some people who will say fear is irrational. And I don't believe that. There is always a reason why you're scared. And there's a reason why your body is telling you this. Now, I had bad experiences of food making me sick. That's why I was scared. And whenever I get pushed to um, go beyond that, something really weird usually happens. Like, for example, one time there was plastic shards in my smoothie and I had to take a picture of it and everything. And I was like, ah, this is why you listen to intuition. <laughs> and like other times it was like they didn't do gluten free. So then I spent the whole night vomiting because I'm a celiac. And whenever things aren't gluten free, you get really, really sick. And so um, intuition is there for a reason. And if you're intuitively feeling afraid, I'm not going to tell you, oh, that's just irrational. No, fear, we were born to be scared to keep us alive. That's why we have that instinct. Sometimes it is very, very rational. And it's important to look into that. Is it your intuition? Or is it because you have some trauma that you have to heal? Is it because you have a traumatic memory? Like, for example, a pit bull, a stray pit bull came into my yard one day. I immediately was scared and I had to do a check in. It's like, why am I scared? Why am I assuming that this pit bull is going to be mean to me? Like, let's do a check in. Does he look like he's growling or threatening me? Is he showing me his teeth or anything? No. Okay. So, this was a trauma that I had because I had some bad experiences with dogs as a child. It's like, okay, I can get past this. And then the pit bull became like my neighborhood dog buddy. He would come into my yard like all the time and I'd play with him. Yeah. <laughs> this happened here in Florida. 
And so it was because I was able to see, okay, is this rational or is this trauma or is this um, intuition or something else? And you assess that by the situation. So for example, whoever tells you like they don't have fear, it's not true. Like everybody has fear. The thing is, how far are we going to let it control us? And is it there for a reason or do we let it be there with us even if it's not there for a reason? Like for example, I never had a fear of snakes. Like I just don't have a fear of snakes. And some people, like my husband is absolutely terrified of them. Like he won't touch them even if they're completely not poisonous and not a problem or anything. But you have to ask yourself, like, why are you going to let that limit you from appreciating another living creature who has actually helped the ecosystem in various ways? Like, It's a very grateful attitude. Thank it's you. Like, it's a very like, it's not a unique like that's a very unique way of looking at everything. Why do you think being connected with your body and having that intuitive sense and connection to rational and irrational fear, how does that help you become more empathetic with living creatures or maybe other people? Yeah. Like how does that help you communicate with others? That's a great point because um, I've noticed that a lot of people who believe that fear is completely irrational at all times, no matter what, they're not very empathetic towards their clients or towards their children or towards their animals or towards um, other people who are experiencing fear or anxiety because of a certain situation or even towards veterans who have PTSD. Like that's right. a, like some people think, oh, they don't, that's not a real thing. They choose to have that. Like, no, nobody chooses to have that life. Now that you mentioned that, like I do see that correlation. And so I think it has helped me be a lot more empathetic. Like I do treat my animals ridiculously well. Right here is the cage for my hamster. <laughs> it is all decked out. Um, so I think it has helped me. Like I do whatever it takes to make sure that they feel safe and at peace at all times. I spoil them a little bit too much, but I love it. So I think it has helped recognizing that, you know, if you could help somebody or a creature not feel fear, then why wouldn't you? Because it's not a nice feeling. How do you feel when you, when you help people not feel afraid? I feel thankful that I was able to like ease that part in them because I guess also like you can sort of feel the shift of a person's energy. So you can sort of feel like whenever they're all tensed up, like you feel that like in the air, yeah. like you, you feel right. that. And so even if you shift it to another level, like you feel better yourself. So yeah, they're helped, but so are you, like you feel less stress because yeah. emotions are really contagious. So if you're able to like shift another person's emotion, it helps you a lot as well. Oh my gosh, that's so true. I'm like thinking about this so much right now. Like if you, when you make somebody feel better, it automatically makes yourself feel better. It's because it's a transference of yes. energy. I mean, I've always believed energy or emotions are just energy in motion. So when you help people channel emotions that feel good, it just, it travels over to you. Exactly. That's yeah. so great. I love that. And what's really interesting is that whenever um, scientists looked at like the electricity that our hearts produce, they see that it actually spans over, I forget how many um, inches, but it's like a ridiculous amount. Like it's a huge, like all of this is my heart energy, like going out. 
and I forget the exact number. And like science has actually detected that. And not only that, like our um, microbiomes and all of our bacteria that we can't see, there's like a whole bunch of our unique bacteria all around us. And all of that is part of energy. That's all of this information that we're gathering that's completely logical and scientific. We're gathering all of that information through smell or through um, senses that we might not even know yet. And we're gathering all of that just intuitively from our primal side of the brain. And so what we might call like magical or mystical, oh, the energy is so woo-woo. It's not. It's not. It's scientific. It's there. Um, there's so much that that can be explained that hasn't been explained yet. And so the energy transference, it's completely real. There was like a physics example where like just thinking about turning on the light, the particles already start going towards um, making sure that like the light gets turned on. And that's just from us thinking about going to turn on the light. And I don't remember the exact example of where to find that, but there's so much we don't know about how each particle reacts, all of the things that we don't see, all of the bacteria around us. And all of that bacteria is like a part of us. And I'm getting a little bit nerdy, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to it. So it's definitely not woo-woo or anything. <laughs> so if, if energy and emotions are contagious, how does your own relationship with your own emotions impact the, f- the frequency of, of you impacting others? Like, so is it important to nurture your own emotions and practice self-care? And does that have a tangible impact on, I guess, like the way people feel around you? I think so. I think people notice a big difference whenever somebody who is in their element and who has taken care of themselves and who have extra energy to sort of like give off and have that positive, happy energy. I think people really notice that. And I think people sort of flock to it like a moth to light. Mm -hmm. Like they all sort of flock to that person with that energy, that positive energy. But sometimes it's, it's okay to also not have that positive energy and to not be super happy all the time. Cause I've spoken to people whose job is to basically be that catalyst of energy and they feel very um, almost used or, or in a lot of pressure of always being that high up. And so I guess as people who are attracted to that energy, as we all are, it's also important to respect that, you know, our idols aren't always going to be at a hundred percent energy because they're humans. And so there's not one person, they can say whatever they want in the camera, they can say whatever they want on an interview, but they're never going to be like that 100% of the time. And so we should give, like, if we ever see our idols who aren't like 100% in performance energy mode, or positivity mode, like, like, we should just give them that break, (laughs) like, just let them be. (laughs) I think that's a, that's a really good point. That's, that's not talked about enough. I think it's probably because even when I was a kid, like, I would assume my parents were like yeah. superhuman, right? Like, I mean, exactly. we are our, our, our guiding forces as superhuman. Right. And so, yeah. you know, when, even when your parents make mistakes or aren't showing up at a hundred percent in the back of your mind, like, I remember there's a lot of like <laughs> probably things that happened in my childhood where I blamed my parents for not being perfect or making mistakes, but because I expected them to be perfect. But if I would have had this attitude that you just shared, which was, you know what, even our superheroes, even the people that do everything for everyone in their lives don't have good days and they're just human. It changes the whole conversation of the way you're experiencing what they're doing for you and to you. 
Like it's a whole nother way of looking. I love that. Oh, it's that's so freeing. <laughs> it makes me feel grateful for it. Yeah. It's very great. It's like, like when you, cause you know, I think I've, I've heard this a lot, like, you know, whenever someone has, and I don't have kids and I'm not married right. yet, but when people have kids, they start to become much closer with their parents because they start to realize that <laughs> like, it's, it's a hard job. It's a hard yeah. job and it's not something, but you build that empathy once you go through it. Yeah. So how do you build empathy for people when you haven't necessarily gone through what they're going through? Like, how do you connect? Yeah, that was a good question. And I remember being told in high school by like some other people, it's like, how can you um, understand if you haven't like been through it? Like you can't, it's, it's, and it's just such a crazy thought for me because I guess because like I've always read so many books. And so I know now that that's actually a great way to gain empathy and understanding in other people's situations. But even if you've never had a chronic illness, you could, you could just do like an exercise and just say, how would I feel if today I lost the ability to be able to brush my teeth myself? Would I be happy? Would I say, wow, this is great. I want more of this. Why did I wait my whole life to not be able to brush my teeth? No. You would hate that. You'd feel trapped. You'd feel trapped within your own body. You'd be like, what do I do now? What do I have going for me? If it's not something you would want, then for example, why would you assume that people who have chronic illness have it because they want to have it? Yeah. And so it's just, I think reading helps a lot, but like reading like fictional books where you're actually reading from the thoughts of another character. And there's like some science proven that, you know, the more fictional books you read, the more you're able to like really put yourself into somebody else's mind. And Mm. why is that important for entrepreneurs? Because you're selling and you need to know how your client is feeling. So like for those who maybe care more about the money than the empathy, it's also important for you to be empathetic so that you could also, you could also connect more to your clients and provide them a good service so that you can grow your business. Because a lot of business owners think empathy doesn't really have anything to do in the business workplace. And it has everything to do because the more empathetic a person is, they're able to realize what it is that their client needs. They're able to predict those needs of the clients. Like how can a mother know whenever her baby cries exactly what the baby needs? Because she tuned herself to that cry and she's able to predict what that baby needs. It's a it's a similar thing in business. Your clients are now your babies and you need to be able to predict what it is they may need next. And you can do that through empathy. I love the idea that reading fiction forces you and trains you to be better at, I guess, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. I've always been a huge autobiography person, or I love reading biographies and autobiographies for that reason, because I'm always forcing myself. Like, so I read, I'm an avid reader, so I read probably like a book a week. And so I'll read like a tactical book, but then I'll listen to someone telling a story so then I started yeah. to see myself in that person's shoes and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like that's crazy. And I, and it, but like, yeah. I never even thought about using it as a tool to build empathy, which is brilliant. That's, that's so <laughs> smart. And that's so intuitive. Like it makes perfect sense. Um, tell me more about your books. Like you're writing a couple books right now and fill, fill me in on some of the projects you've got going on. Yeah. I really enjoy writing. I, I love writing. It's where I feel most aligned with, the person that I am. So I have a bestseller out right now. It's called The Life with Health. Um, It's been out for a while. And I'm also working with a biological dentist and he is my dentist. And um, 
we are working on this awesome book that talks about how important it is to take care of your mouth because the bacteria in your mouth shouldn't be killed. It should be balanced because it affects everything in your body. And bacteria isn't evil. Bacteria is good for you. And we talk about the dangers of root canals. We talk about some of the truth behind a lot of procedures that are very conventional conventional, and like without even thinking that aren't necessarily the best for the individual. So root canals is a big one. And also wisdom teeth for some people. I haven't had my wisdom teeth removed, but nowadays it's seen as a rite of passage. You turn 16 or 17 and you get your wisdom teeth out just because. Um, that's not necessarily good because a lot of us, we have wisdom teeth for a reason. I have a question in general. So like what I like most about your projects right now are that you're writing books um, in fields that interest you or in different fields of interest. I'm so lucky to be able to do that. Yes. Right. Like that's so unique and curious. Like how did you, how do you, how do you get to that point where you, that's, that's amazing. Like you find something interesting and then you're writing about it and you're working with amazing people to write with them. Tell me more about the journey and how you actually got to, to writing the way you are. So ever since I was little, I always, I read a lot of books, but then in high school, I read a lot of books about like psychology or about certain events or certain health and especially Malcolm Gladwell. I only actually, interestingly enough, he inspired me a lot, but I only read one of his books. (laughs) And so, and so after I read one of his books, I was like, and it was filled with all of these like random facts. And I, I think it was outliers. I loved Mm, it. I was like, I don't know how old I was. I was probably like 16. And I was like, wow, wouldn't it be so cool to like not be in school and instead just do research on all of these things that are happening in this world and then put it all together in a way that makes sense. And everybody can see like the correlation. And I was like, that would be so cool. But I didn't think that that was my purpose. I just thought that would be so cool. And I would keep reading books like that. And I'm like, Oh, that would be so cool. Like I can see the correlation between here, here and here. And it would keep popping up and popping up in my life. And even like whenever, um, like senior year of high school, like I was doing mostly self studies because I already had all my credits. I was just like there my last year of high school. I had all my credits already. I don't know why I didn't graduate the year before, but, (laughs) but I was doing all self study classes. So during that time, I got to spend a lot of time with like my science teachers and she was an amazing woman and a lot of time with like these really amazing women. And I got to do a lot of science presentations and I worked with like PhD professors and I got to do all of these science presentations. And I was like, I really, I just, I love delving into this whole world of cause and effect. And I love all of that research of cause and effect and really digging deep into how things work. It's just, I love that so much. And I I remember telling my teachers, like, I wish this could be a job. I don't want to be like, I wish I could just put all of this together and have right. that be my job. <laughs> like, that's what I want to do. I want to do the presentations. I want to do the communicating of these ideas, of these connections, of all of this correlation. Like, it interests me so much. And I still didn't think of making my own job at that point. So I went to college to be a doctor. And I was also thinking, I'll do business on the side. I'll be like, 
I'll, I'll also study business. I was still super sick. So then like, I was just like, you know what? I don't have long enough to live maybe to actually be a doctor. So I might as well just do what I like. <laughs> and that's how I created that. So, I love it. That's, and that's, that's amazing. I, yeah. I love the journey you're on and I'm excited for these books to come out. I don't know if there's any details <laughs> on them, but when they are, let me know. And I'd love to um, share them with people. Amy, you are awesome. I oh, am excited so to hang out with you. And, uh, and I'm excited and, uh, for you to meet all my pets. They're yes. so cute. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to meet them too. So uh, yeah, everybody listening, we'll make all of Amy's links available in the show notes and everything awesome that she has going on. Um, but Amy, I had one last question for you. In the midst of everything you've experienced, everything you're doing and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? It is different every day. So what might work today might not work tomorrow. So it depends on what I'm going through. And it's really checking into my intuition and asking myself what it is that I need. So sometimes it might be a bath. Sometimes it might be some tea. Sometimes it might be going to the beach or doing something new, like bungee jumping. <laughs> so sometimes it just it depends. So I really just ask myself, what is it do I need in this moment? And also I keep a colorful skull over there. I don't know. You can see it. Mm -hmm. But it's just a way of reminding myself that, you know, death is always here and make the most out of life while I'm here. Mic drop. I love it. That is a beautiful way to wrap up this interview. Amy, thank you so much for being here and for just sharing everything you did. I'm very grateful to spend, uh, to spend the time with you. But everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your friend, Amy. And from us, stay grounded. We will chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded. <laughs>